Welcome to those listening online, live. Cool. So we will be in Luke 17 this morning, and we need God's help as we look at his words. So we're going to start with a word of prayer. So Paul, would you lead us, please? Father God, we praise you for the awesome God that you are. We thank you for this time together. We pray that you would be here, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. Fresh insight into what you have to teach us. Pray for Pastor, uh, help him to lead this group. Uh, we thank you for sending your son to die for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about forgiving brothers and sisters who have wronged us. And a couple of the comments that uh, were made about that whole process is that it's complicated. And it is, and it's hard, um, but it's still something Jesus calls us to do. So maybe we should start with what is forgiveness? We've kind of had a four-part definition. What is forgiveness? Well, I'll help you out on this one until you warm up. Um, can't blame the time change this time. So, so one, one part is I will not seek to get even with you in any way. I will not dwell on this and nurture bitterness. And Paul mentioned Hebrews 12 as far as the word bitterness. I will not bring it up and use it against you. And I will not let this become an insurmountable barrier in our relationship. So why are we to do those four things when a brother or sister wrongs us? Remember some verses that would help us be motivated by that? Ephesians 4. What does that say, Brett? Oh, I gotta look it up. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, Ephesians 4.32. Yeah. I think I could do it. I sing the song, but I'm not gonna sing this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, and is there another one in Colossians that sounds sort of like that one too? Yes. How about, somebody read Colossians 3.13? Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Okay, thank you. And then, uh, can anybody think of a parable that Jesus told that makes that point in a, a longer version? Go ahead, Shelly. It looked like you were about to say it, no? Okay, anybody know a parable that Jesus told about forgiveness? Okay, so yeah, you're right. When a woman came and um, anointed him with oil and wiped his feet with her tears, he told a mini story about forgiven much, loves much. 
is absolutely true. There's even a, a, a more direct one in terms of the relationship between shown mercy and showing mercy. I don't remember the name of it, but the servant that he's forgiven his debts and then he doesn't forgive the one. Okay, good. Yep. So I don't no, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. So it's it's in Matthew 18, and it's it's a rather extended one, and it's in answer to Peter's question, how often should I forgive my brother seven times? And feeling pretty noble about himself, saying, you know, I, I'm willing to do it up to seven. And then Jesus responded with what? Okay, so that means if if you get to 491, you're good to go. <laughs> of course not. Um, how often are we to forgive? Yeah, as often as it takes. Up to seven times a day, sounds like, and maybe even number eight. So, um, but there, and then he launches into that parable to illustrate, you've been forgiven this massive debt by God, how can you withhold forgiveness from someone who has done something against you. Okay, so so that's the why of forgiveness. For those coming in, we're just reviewing forgiveness from Luke 17. We did acknowledge it is complicated and hard, but it, we are called to do it because of the text we just looked at as often as it needs to. And then what is the connection between forgiveness and faith? Remember, the disciples' reaction when they heard Jesus call for this kind of forgiveness was, Increase our faith. Why would they say that compared to something else? What were some of the connections? Tom? The grace that we need to Yeah. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. John 15, 5, including forgive anybody once, let alone a bunch of times. So we, it takes faith or trust to depend on the strength the Lord gives to do what he calls us to do, to enable us to follow his commands. What else? The more we understand the enormity of our forgiveness, that helps us. It does, certainly. How about when you trust a doctor, let's say, he says you need to take this pill every day for the next three months, or you need to not eat this kind of food for the next few months. Um, what does faith look like at that point? If you trust your doctor... Obedience. Okay, he follows orders, right? And so, it, but it starts with, I believe he knows what he's talking about and he knows what's best for me, and so I trust him and I'll do what he says because I trust him. So if we believe Jesus knows what's best for us, and he does... And we trust that this is the way for our own health. We talked about that last week, that it's our own mental, emotional health that is healed in forgiving as well as relationships. Um, then we follow what he says. That's faith. Right? Trusting Jesus enough to do what he says is faith. <laughs> Not just believe he said it. We can all believe that. But trusting him enough to follow what he says. And then there was one more piece we talked about in terms of the fight of faith, it had to do with promises. Remember a text, let's say, in Romans, that might be helpful there. Romans 12? 
You're on a roll, Brett. What does that say? Well, it says um, in verse 19, well, verse 18, it says, well, 17, I don't read the whole chapter, just kidding. Um, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we trust that God, um, God will settle all accounts. Right. God will settle all accounts in the best way, in the best time. And so it's a fight of faith to say, I trust that promise instead of the promise unforgiveness is making to me that you'll feel a lot better if you get a zinger in here or you tell somebody else about it or some other way of getting even. And so it's a fight of faith. Which promise is more appealing to me? Which one is more true? Um, and the thing about revenge, I think I've shared this one before, but um, so think about a, a power saw. Okay. Um, in the hands of a skillful carpenter, you can make beautiful furniture, right? But in the hands of a four-year-old, somebody's going to get hurt. Okay? So revenge in God's hands, the perfect judge of all the earth, creates a beautiful thing. He will settle all accounts perfectly. Revenge in the hands of one of us, somebody's going to get hurt. We're, we're just not meant to handle this. It's God's thing. And if we take it on ourselves and say, I'm going to get revenge, I'm going to get even, I'm going to even the score, we've taken this power tool that was never meant to be ours and unleashing it, and it just does a disaster instead of trusting God is the one who knows how to use it and when to use it and will accomplish the right end result. Right, Emily? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted you to know that I knew you were here. <laughs> okay. So any follow-up questions or comments about forgiving? And again, at least in the text in 17, it's talking about brothers and sisters, not necessarily bad people out there in the world that are doing evil. Um, if you hit my car in the parking lot, can Tom say, it's okay, I forgive you? <laughs> right. Why not? <laughs> I don't know, the offense isn't against him, it's against you. Right. And so him forgiving an offense against somebody else is not, I don't think that's what the text is. Well, and that's just it, though. I forgive offenses against me, but the, the text isn't calling forgive offenses out there against people in Ukraine or the criminals that did something wrong in Omaha. Or, you know, it's, it's at least in this text, if a brother sins against you, okay? So we're not talking about the whole world. God has a, verses about that, too. But in terms of your responsibility is to forgive those who have wronged you. So Tom, Tom can't do that for you. You have to do that. By God's enabling grace, trusting Jesus knows what's best, and trusting the promises that God will take care of that person and you and the situation perfectly.
Any other thoughts or comments or questions about forgiveness? So, without risking butchering this, um, so when we forgive, it gives us the opportunity. God uses that by us forgiving to be able to lighten our load because we've forgiven that offense against us. And the part that I keep coming back to is it also says to increase your faith like a mustard seed. Isn't that the whole purpose of us forgiving so that we can continue to grow in our faith and not hold on to those burdens, like but it. learn how we can continue to forgive more and more and more and more, in essence, growing closer to Christ because of all that he's done for us and our forgiving us of what we've done against him. I don't think you butchered that at all. I thought that was a, a great summary. So why don't we tr use that as a transition because Jesus does answer the question about increase our faith in maybe a little bit surprising way. Um, so why don't we see what he says and what that means. So would somebody please read verse 6. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted, and planted in the sea, and it would obey him. Okay, so what's his point? Do you remember how big a mustard seed is? By the way, we Jesus already used the idea of mustard seed before. How big is it? It's really teeny, like you can barely see it. Okay, so that's how much faith we're talking about. It. Like, you have that much. So what is his point? doesn't take much to do great things. Okay. At least much faith. So maybe another way to say it is not the size or the amount of faith that matters, it's the object of your faith, namely God. So if you have a lot of faith and very sincere faith that the ice will hold you up and it's only an inch thick, what will happen? You might get cold and wet. If you have just a teeny mustard seed size faith that the ice will hold you up and it's two feet thick, what will happen? It'll be fine. It's not the amount of your faith. It's the object you're placing your faith in. Is it worthy of your trust or not? So God, it's not great faith in God. It's faith in a great God. Do you hear the difference? It's about God and not about you coming up with enough faith. Okay? Which is why... It's good news that God is as big as your faith isn't true. Because we'd be hosed if God is only that big. Right? God is infinite. He is not limited to the size of your faith or my faith. And that is good news for all of us. He never stops being infinite. Karen? I feel that God gives us common sense and that we should not tempt him by doing what you said of stepping on thin ice. Oh, right, yeah. Um, believing God to keep you up on thin ice is putting the Lord to a test is, and stupid, not an um, act of great faith, okay? So, yeah, that's a, a worthy caution, sure. Okay, so any comments or questions about forgiveness and faith and how much faith it takes to forgive your brother? Because isn't that the context? How much faith do you need to forgive your brother? Just a little bit in a great God. Okay. 
Any other thoughts or questions? All right, would somebody, we're going to do a one at a time here for a little bit. Verse 7, would somebody read verse 7? Which of you, having a slave plowing and tending sheep, will say to him when he has come to the, come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Okay, so what would be the original listener's answer to that question? No one. Nobody does that. Okay? So then let's read verse 8. So let me read 8. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. So here's another rhetorical question. What would the people in the audience originally have said to that? Yeah, of course. That's what that's what's the way it works. That's how it's done. That's what slaves do. How about verse 9? Would somebody read that? So he thanked the servant because he did what was commanded. Okay, and what would be the answer there? Of course not. <laughs> so just a little poll here. How many of you got a thank you note and a bonus check from your boss for showing up at work last week? <laughs> you laugh. That's the exact response Jesus' audience had when he told this. Okay? You laughed at that because you see how ridiculous that is, right? Or, how many of you got a prize from the state of Iowa, Nebraska, or South Dakota for keeping from not breaking the speed limit or running any red lights this week? <laughs> Again, you laugh because that's just what you're supposed to do. And uh, Angela and I were at a thing at the United States Air Force Academy, and there was a time for Q&A, and uh, this would-be cadet asked, uh, do we get a medal for keeping the honor code? And the honor code is, I will not lie or cheat, and I will not tolerate those who do, but will turn them in. So do we get a medal for that? Do we get a special prize? And the answer from the guy up front was, you get to be a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. You don't get any special medal. You get to do what that <laughs> leads to. Okay? So that's the flavor that Jesus is trying to get us at. And then he wraps it up in verse 10. Would somebody read verse 10? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Okay. So what attitude is Jesus addressing there? What's he trying to prevent? We should do what we're called to do without expecting some type of reward or okay. acknowledgement. Uh-huh. Good, good. Yeah, the, the idea that we're entitled to some kind of acknowledgement or special recognition or special blessing or extra protection because we follow what Jesus says. If I tithe, I should never have a financial problem again. If I have my quiet time, I should have a good day. If I do something nice for a neighbor, I should, I should get a write-up in the paper. Um, if I do something nice for my wife, I always ought to get a thank you, honey. Right? 
or a back rub or a, a, a special meal of my choice. Or Right? Aren't we wired that way? It's like, look at me. Look what I did. Isn't anybody going to give me at least a pat on the back and an attaboy and a thank you and just bend over backwards to make me feel great about myself? Right? Isn't that in there for at least me? Some of us too, right? So, so here's a little reality check. Did you know God doesn't need you or me for anything? Let's read the verse, because that's in there. Acts 17. Acts 17. <coughs> Bless you. Would somebody read 24 and 25? And God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to, to um, all people life and breath and all things. So if God needed us, then maybe we could kind of expect some kind of special thanks because we met one of his needs. Right? Like, wow, I had a help wanted sign out there, and you volunteered to serve on that committee. I owe you one. Right? And this verse says, God doesn't need anybody for anything. He's self-sufficient, all-sufficient. In fact, he's the one who's giving us everything. We're not giving anything to him. So that's a good reality check, right? God doesn't need me. He doesn't need my evangelism. He doesn't need my service. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need anything from me. So that's, that's a good thing. And then Romans 11. Would somebody re read Romans 11, 35? Okay, so this kind of says God never owes us anything. It's not like we do something for him and now he says, okay, I'll pay you back for that. I owe you one. So, in light of those verses and what Jesus told about the slaves or the servants, what should our attitude be? Humble service, not entitlement. That's a great summary. So even if we did all that he commanded, anybody here say they did that for a whole hour? All that he commanded. So we're already not even <laughs> in the realm here, right? Even if you did all, we're still unworthy servants who are entitled to no extra points here. We're only doing what is right to do. It's only right to serve God. It's only right to obey God. It's only right to pray. It's only right to serve. It's only, that's just, it's what Christians are called to do. Not, you get special credit if you do those things. It's almost like that difference between disciple and Christian. It's like, if you're a disciple, you get extra credit. No, that's just normal Christianity, is following Jesus and doing what he says. Right? It's not extra credit Christianity. It's just basic Christianity. Mere Christianity, as C.S. Lewis would call it. Just basic, just what it is. So, any comments or questions on that? 
Scott, did you want to add something? No. Okay. Oh, they've got a Scott and a Scott right behind us, so. Okay. Paul. Uh, I was just thinking about what we actually do deserve. What do we deserve, Paul? Death. Yeah. Destruction. Yep. And Jesus paid it all. So, Amen. You know, if you compare with what we think we deserve with what we actually deserve, you get a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Mm -hmm. Good. Good reminder. Yeah, we, we don't want to ask justice from God. <laughs> we only want mercy. Right? If God really gave us what justice demands, we'd all be in hell right now. So everything this side of hell and death is mercy. So thank you, that's a good reminder. Any other thoughts or comments on this little mini story or a little mini teaching about servants and our attitude? Genesis and before, right before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, Abraham saw him come in and he said, "If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant." And then he brought in water and, mm -hmm. and let him hide underneath a tree to get some shade. So I, I just thought it was a beautiful picture on how being a servant was, and you know, here we got Father Abraham doing mm -hmm. that type of action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bring a fat calf and so forth. So, uh, to me, there in Genesis 18 was a good picture of being a servant. Very good. And then speaking of Genesis and um, patriarchs, Jacob says, "I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant." I'm unworthy. I, I didn't deserve anything from God. And yet he's poured out loving kindness and faithfulness on my life. You know, so that's it's a healthier, more biblical attitude than I'm entitled, God owes me, I should get some extra credit or recognition around here. Okay? Okay. Well, let's keep working through Luke 17 then. Uh, would somebody read 11 through 13, please? On the way to Jerusalem, he passed along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, thank you. So how bad is leprosy? Bad. How bad? <laughs> really bad. Really bad, okay. So... Um, it doesn't get much more miserable than leprosy. Um, yeah, how many of you seen Ben-Hur? You know, so the mom and the sister get leprosy, they're in the college. So that's a, a little taste. Um, if you look at a Bible encyclopedia, you will need a strong stomach to see some of the pictures. And if you read uh, some Bible reference works, you find words like dreaded and dreadful, loathsome, repulsive, destroying, fatal, and a living death. So that's what these guys are up against. And so when it says they raised their voices, why did they have to do that? Because And there's a hint right in the verse before it. They were at a distance. At a distance. Anybody know how long traditionally the distance was? 50 yards. Half a football field. So you had to have a pretty loud voice to be heard 
50 yards away. Talk about social distancing, right? <laughs> six, six feet, which none of us ever did after church anyway. <laughs> 50 yards! And yet they yelled for Jesus to have mercy. When was the last time anybody was recorded as having been healed of leprosy before these guys? Naaman? Pardon me? Naaman? Okay, Naaman is, yeah, that's exactly right. And ballpark how many years before? Call it 800. Yeah. Before that, who was the only other recorded ex-leper? Miriam. Very good. And that was roughly 1,400 years before. So think of having a disease that no one's been healed of except two people in the last 1,400 years. How hopeful would you be that the doctor you're going to is going to be able to take care of you? Pretty, pretty grim, right? So at least give them credit. They believe Jesus could do something about this. Jesus had mercy on us. Okay? So... Then, verse 14. Would somebody read verse 14? When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Okay, so just like that. Just a word from Jesus. Um, so I wrote this down from somewhere. I don't remember the footnote. Uh, as they are walking, sores and lesions on their skin are gone. What was true of Naaman was true for them. Their flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Nervous systems rewired to work properly again. Missing fingers and toes were restored. The nightmare was over and their lives could start all over again. So just like that, Jesus did all of that. Just say, go to the priests. So that's, that's pretty impressive. So, let's read verse 15. And 16, please. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Okay, thank you. So, tell me about the different phrases describing his response. Okay, what does that mean, Tom? Worship, thankfulness. Okay, good. So it's the idea of giving God the honor and praise that's due him as the great and glorious God that he is. And in this case, specifically call attention to his mercy and power in healing an incurable disease that God was willing and able through Jesus to change this man's life right there. Um, and did he do it in tones that would be fitting in a library? says with a loud voice. And we know he has a loud voice because he was heard 50 yards away. So, you know, he has a pretty good voice. Um, what's the next phrase? I like your translation, Mark. What did you say? He threw himself at Jesus' feet. What does that mean? Have you done that lately? Throwing yourself at somebody's feet? But what are you saying when you do something like that? He's saying he's not worthy to be 
Jesus' presence. Right. So just being at his feet is saying, you're higher than I. You're here, I, I'm physically demonstrating I'm low, like way down here by your feet. You're high, uh, of higher honor than I am. I'm lowly before you. But that idea of throwing himself there, falling on his face before him is just, doesn't that just add to the emotional intensity of it? It wasn't just like, okay, he walks up, takes the position. You know, he's like, ah! <laughs> in fact, there's a movie, I forget which one in the church library um, for this scene. They, they have the ex-leopard basically tackling Jesus. <laughs> he's just so overjoyed to be healed. I think that probably captures a pretty good feel. It wasn't very, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm very appreciative. <laughs> you had a British accent, of course. Um, <laughs> um, no, he's throwing himself at his feet and just, thank you, Jesus. And, and probably said it more than once, I think. It doesn't say that, but I think he'd say it more than once if you were a leper and experiencing all that misery for all those years and now you're healed. I think you would be pretty exuberant. He sure wasn't worried about what people thought. No, <laughs> no. Response. Yep. Good, good. Well, not everyone responded the way this Samaritan did. Let's read 17 through 19. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten clean, cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay. So, Jesus does the math. And did he really not know where the other nine were? Okay. Just, uh, we're getting our attention. Why does Jesus call out these other nine people? They apparently were Jews. Okay. The Samaritans. Right, so there's a contrast there. And, and what would come along with the fact that they're Jews? Well, the contrast between the Samaritan who was an outcast in Jewish society, and he was the one that glorified God and came back and praised Jesus for his healing, and the, the Jews didn't, didn't do anything about it. Okay, and would the Jews have maybe more access to what would be appropriate at that point? I mean, if you're a Jew, don't you know that glorifying God is your purpose for existing? So they knew better and didn't. This Samaritan who wouldn't have known did because it was an overflow of a thankful heart. Like Tom said, they're just a natural response. Um, so it's ultimately about God not getting the glory that's due him. It's not just bad manners, though it is. Uh, it's not just tacky, and it's not just... Um, you know, Thanksgiving is an optional thing. It, it, this is reasonably something that these nine were expected to do, and it's inexcusable that they didn't. So I remember in uh, seminary there was a book, and it had uh, like nine excuses the other men would have given. Well, Jesus told us to go to the priest first, so I would just do what he said. Well, I wanted to tell my family first, and then I was maybe going to get back to Jesus. Or, you know, all these things. And Jesus doesn't buy any of those excuses. He just says, where are these guys? Why aren't they here giving thanks and glorifying God like this Samaritan is? Okay, so he doesn't buy these excuses like, well, whatever. Um, 
So here's a point I think we need to learn from this story, and I think I owe this to Jerry Bridges. There's a difference between feeling glad about something and actually giving thanks to God for something. So when the weatherman says, we can be thankful, we dodged that blizzard that was headed our way, he is not saying, let's stop and thank God Almighty that in his mercy he spared us from the misery of this storm. He's simply saying, aren't you glad we didn't have to shovel all that snow? And if you ask the other nine lepers, are you glad that you're free from this awful disease? Of course they are. What a stupid question. But they did not actually stop and make a deliberate point of expressing thanks to God. So this morning, we're going to be talking about redemption in 1 Peter 1. The question is not just, are we glad we're redeemed? Of course you are. The question is, as we go into corporate worship, is your heart overflowing with actual thanks expressed to God for what he did through Jesus? Tessa, are you raising your hand? Yeah. Um, is it also, do you have a picture of back in Luke 4 where Jesus had read out of Isaiah's scroll in 18 and then... He tells the Jewish people around him in verse 26 that um, 26 and I guess 27 and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian and his point was just saying that when Israel rejects God that he his blessing goes to other people besides just the Jewish people Okay, yeah, they got very mad when he said that, by the way. <laughs> they weren't happy. It's like, hey, just us. I just wondered if this little picture of just the, just the Samaritan coming back was, was sort of another picture of that, where he was the only one and he wasn't necessarily the Jew who followed him that was giving glory to God. Yeah, it just, I mean, and of course, in the Good Samaritan quote, I mean, again, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan in the first century Jewish world. I mean, they're all bad Samaritans, not good Samaritans. So, yeah, there's certainly a contrast, like hint, hint, people who know better aren't responding the right way. People who, in theory, wouldn't know any better do. So, yeah, I think there's that flavor there. You know, the other nine were Jews, and it wasn't like he only healed a Samaritan and didn't heal the other nine. He healed all of them indiscriminately, but only the outsider responded correctly. Right, good. Any other thoughts or comments on the healing of the lepers? When he said, go and show yourself to the priest, would the, the, the uh, Jews felt, felt that the cleansing would have been more important than thanks to God, their ritual of cleansing? Maybe, but in Jesus' book, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you could have stopped and thanked me first and then gone to show yourself to the priest. I mean, it's not like do not fast go or collect $200, go to the priest, and then come back. It's, that's just what you should have done. So you're right, there, there was a, a very detailed process of how you got checked out by the priest and declared clean. But again, it hadn't been used for a long time. <laughs> um, so they probably had to say, I'll get back to you, <laughs> looking through their Old Testament. Like, okay, what's, what's the process for cleansing a leper or declaring a leper cleansed? 
haven't had to do it in my lifetime. It's hard to imagine any reason for not turning back. And the only one that comes to my mind is legalism. That's strong enough in our flesh to make us want to continue. And not turn back. We're being healed from a horrible disease. Legalism, but with an unchanged heart. Okay, okay. Any other thoughts or questions? It's um, remarkable, too, you just said, go show yourselves unto the priest. You didn't, like, lay hands on them. You didn't hmm. rub something on them. You didn't do anything. And the healing didn't take place right in his presence. You just said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they're going, they're Amen. Yeah. So there's power in Jesus' words to affect miracles. And uh, so that one seems to be at a 50-yard distance. And remember, the centurion's servant yes. was a different town. Yes. It wasn't even in the same town, but he healed him long distance. That's the kind of power Jesus has in his word. Is there, I have one more question. Does, is he saying that his faith made him well? Does that mean that the other nine were not necessarily faithful? Or you said they had faith because they had faith enough to ask. Is, he, is Jesus saying or not saying that they weren't faithful or as faithful as him? I guess it's hard to say. It really depends on what, what the phrase made you well or made you whole is. Because if it's simply... All ten were healed. Um, and so there was some, some amount of faith that they cried to Jesus for mercy. But did they only get healing for their physical bodies and this man experienced more? Mm -hmm. To be made whole or made well or maybe even saved <laughs> um, because of the kind of faith he had. I don't know. It's, it's just not clear. He doesn't put it in, this man was justified or this man was declared right in God's eye. I mean, it's, it's just a, a little unclear as far as what he experienced beyond the other nine um, because it wasn't like they got their healing reversed because they didn't say thanks and, and he, he kept his because he did. So he's, it just saying, seems like in addition to being healed of leprosy, something else came to pass in your life. That's, the, that's my best attempt anyway. All right, well, it is quarter after, so we should probably stop for now. And um, Scott, would you close us in prayer, please? Father, we thank you that we have such a word today to, to hear of these men and the one, Lord God, the one that came back, the one that gave thanks for answered prayer, for what Jesus had done with him gave the glory to God. Let us learn also, Lord God, not to think small or lightly or little concerning all our dealings with you every day throughout the day, that we have Christ for us and Christ in us all the time, and prayer in our hands and out of our mouth, your ear always open. But God, we have so much. We 
just thank you and glorify you for that today. Help us to glorify you worthily, Lord God, as children, as those bought and purchased you belong to Jesus. Just learn well, Lord God, that you need nothing. You don't need us, but you love us. You don't need us, but you you let us participate and choose, Lord God, to cause us to will and to do of your good pleasure. It's like hard to take it all in. To live like citizens of heaven and not earth. So we continue, Lord God, to pray your blessing upon Pastor Dave as he brings us the word further in worship, Lord God your most holy name. As we hear the word preached, it's worship to us and glory to you, worship unto your name. So we return thanks to you for all that we hear concerning redemption. Hallelujah, Father. That we have been redeemed. That we needed to be redeemed. That we were unable to redeem ourselves. Held in bondage. But the purchase has been made. Christ has died. Who can stand against us when God has us and we have him? So let the worship continue, Lord God, both in song, word, everything we do. It's enabling causes, Father, to really understand what we're doing this morning as we bring glory to your name. Thanks return thanks to you for all the mercies received even just in this past week and those that we're going to receive in the next hour and in the next week. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we come asking these things with our hands open, trusting that you have us, that you're always good, all that you do and give and work upon us and in us is good. 